Don't touch me. Don't you dare try to touch me. Get on the Oh, stop it. You stop it. No, let go of me. No, no, you. Let go. Let go of me. Put me down. I do not know what manner of thing she is. None of us do. She killed her mother in the birthing, but that's never enough to account for it. They call me wise, but I am far from wise. For all that I foresaw fragments of it, frozen moments caught in pools of water or in the cold glass of my mirror. If I were wise, I would not have tried to change what I saw. If I were wise, I would have killed myself before ever I encountered her, before ever I caught him. Wise and a witch, or so they said. I'd seen his face in my dreams and in reflections for all my life. Eighteen years of dreaming of him, before he reined his horse by the bridge that day and asked my name. And do you know who I am? Yes, Your Majesty. <laughs> so you recognize me, huh? You live far from here? No, not far, Your Majesty. Just past those trees.、Hmm. Have you food there? Yes, just plain food.、Uh, plain food is good food, girl. Any wine? A little. He helped me onto his high horse, and we rode together to my little cottage. My face buried in the gold of his hair. He asked for the best of what I had—a king's right, it was—and he did not leave my cottage that night. His beard was red bronze in the morning light, and I knew him not as a king, for I knew nothing of kings then, but as my love. He took all he wanted from me, the right of kings, but he returned to me on the following day, and on the night after that, his beard so red, his hair so gold, his eyes the blue of a summer sky, his skin tanned the gentle brown of ripe wheat. Days have passed like hours, my sweet. Yes. I'm afraid it's time for me to return to the palace. Oh, darling, will you come with me? As your slut. As my queen. I'm scared. Of the castle? You have nothing to worry about there. They'll all love you, or they'll have me to answer to. No. It's odd. I thought I saw a face in that tower window.、Yeah. That would be my daughter. The face was so white. I thought she was a ghost. You'd not be the first. That painting at the top of the stairs—it's beautiful. She was your first wife? The first queen, my daughter's mother. Yes.、Mm. She was very lovely. Your rooms will be in here. Mine are at the far end of the hall. And where does that staircase go? Those are the little princesses' quarters. 
Oh, look. Oh, there she is, peeping round the corner. Hello. Hello, little one. I'm your new mother. Are, are you going to come out and say hello? Oh, I think I scared her. Nothing scares her. It'll just take her a while to get to know you. His daughter was only a child, no more than five years of age when I came to the palace. Another portrait of her dead mother hung in the princess's tower room. A tall woman, hair the color of dark wood, eyes nut brown. She was of a different blood to her pale daughter. The girl would not eat with us. I do not know where in the palace she ate. So I had my own chambers. My husband, the king, he had his own rooms also. When he wanted me, he would send for me, and I would go to him and pleasure him and take my pleasure with him. One night, several months after I was brought to the palace, she came to my rooms. She was six. I was embroidering by lamplight, squinting my eyes against the lamp's smoke and fitful illumination. When I looked up, she was there. Princess? She said nothing. Her eyes were black as coal, black as her hair. Her lips were redder than blood. She looked up at me and smiled. Her teeth seemed sharp, even then, in the lamplight. What are you doing away from your room? I'm hungry. Oh, I have just the thing. When they gathered the apples for the midwinter feast, I had them bring me some extra ones, and I hung them in here. Here you are. It's an apple. It was winter when fresh food is a dream of warmth and sunlight. But I had strings of whole apples, cored and dried, hanging from the beams of my chamber, and I pulled an apple down for her. Everything has a season, princess. Did you know that? Autumn is the time of drying, of preserving. It's the time when we pick apples and we render the goose fat and we store food away. Now, winter, is the time of hunger, of snow, and of death, and that's when we have the midwinter feast. Have you ever been to the midwinter feast? Huh? Hmm? No? <laughs> well, first of all, we take a whole pig and we stuff it with that autumn's apples. Then we slather its skin with goose fat so it'll be nice and crispy when it's cooked. Then we roast it in a huge old brick oven, and everyone in the town comes to feast upon the crackling. And if you're good, I'll take you to the next festival. Would you like that? Will Father be there?、Uh, yes, yes, I'm sure he will. You are so hungry. Look at you devour that apple. What sharp little teeth you must have! Well, is it good? Hmm. Nice apple. Up till that moment, I had been, I suppose, almost scared of the little princess. But looking down at her then, I warmed to her, and with my fingers gently, I stroked her cheek. She looked at me and smiled. She smiled, but rarely. Then she sank her teeth into the base of my thumb, the mind of Venus, and she drew blood. Then she looked at me, and I fell silent. 
her mouth fastened to my hand, where the blood ran, and she licked and sucked and drank. Thank you. Nice. Beneath my gaze, the cut that she had made began to close, to scab, and to heal. The next day, it was an old scar. I might have cut my hand with a pocket knife in my childhood. I had been frozen by her, owned and dominated. That scared me more than the blood on which she had fed. After that night. I locked my chamber door at dusk, barring it with an oaken pole, and I had the smith forge iron bars, which he placed across my windows. So, what are you saying, Archbishop? I am saying, Your Majesty,、yes. that if Edmund and Morcor continue in this heresy, I shall have no recourse but to send an envoy to Rome and request their excommunication. I um. Yes, I,、uh, you you were Edmund.、Uh, yes,、uh, I'm afraid my mind wandered. Edwin and Morcor, Your Majesty, the Northern Secession. I was pointing out to Your Majesty that you boy, over here, come here. Yes, Your Majesty. Wine. Most grateful. Yes. Most frightfully. My husband, my love, my king, sent for me less and less, and when I came to him, he was dizzy, listless, confused. He could no longer make love as a man makes love, and he would not permit me to pleasure him with my mouth. The one time I tried, he started violently and began to weep. I pulled my mouth away and held him tightly. Until the sobbing had stopped and he slept like a child, I ran my fingers across his skin as he slept. It was covered in a multitude of ancient scars, but I could recall no scars from the days of our courtship, save one on his side where a boar had gored him when he was a youth. Soon he was just a shadow of the man I had met and loved by the bridge. His bones showed, blue and white beneath his skin. The Archbishop, Your Majesty, send him in. I am pleased you came, Archbishop. His Majesty will die soon. I need you to deliver the final sacraments. I see. Do you know why he is dying, Your Majesty? Do you know what is killing him? I believe so. Then you know as well as I why I cannot administer the last rites. He is your king. How dare you? I dare because this is a monstrous thing, Your Majesty. Daughter, no, no, please, little one. And he is nobody's king, Your Majesty. Not any more. Get out of here. I sat there with my love's dead body. His hands were cold as stone, his eyes milky blue, his hair and beard faded and lusterless and limp. He weighed near to nothing. 
The ground was frozen hard, and we could dig no grave for him, so we made a cairn of rocks and stones above his body, as a memorial only, for there was little enough of him left to protect from the hunger of the beasts and the birds. So I was queen. And I was foolish and young, and I did not do what I would do now. If it were today, I would have her heart cut out, true. But then I would have her head and arms and legs cut off. I would have them disembowel her. And then I would watch in the town square as the hangman heated the fire to white heat with bellows. Watch unblinking as he consigned each part of her to the fire. I would have archers around the square who would shoot any bird or animal who came close to the flames, any raven or dog or hawk or rat, and I would not close my eyes until the princess was ash, and a gentle wind could scatter her like snow. I did not do this thing, and we pay for our mistakes. They say that I was fooled, that it was not her heart. That it was the heart of an animal, a stag, perhaps, or a boar. They say that, and they are wrong. And some say, but it is her lie, not mine, that I was given the heart and that I ate it. Lies and half-truths fall like snow, covering the things that I remember, the things I saw. A landscape unrecognizable after a snowfall. That is what she has made of my life. There were scars on my love, her father's thighs, and on his phallic pouch, and on his male member when he died. We took her in the day while she slept and was at her weakest. <sighs> Stepmother? Tie her up. Yes, Majesty. No. Oh, please. No, Mother. Make them let me go. I'm not your mother. Take her into the forest and kill her. They took her to the heart of the forest, and there they opened her blouse, and they cut out her heart, and they left her dead in a gully for the forest to swallow. The forest is a dark place, the border to many kingdoms. No one would be foolish enough to claim jurisdiction over it. Outlaws live in the forest. Robbers live in the forest, and so do wolves. You can ride through the forest for a dozen days and never see a soul, but there are eyes upon you the entire time. Is it done? Yes, Majesty. You have it with you? She was only a child, Your Majesty. I don't know what she was, but she wasn't a child. Give it to me. Well done. That will be all. Majesty. They brought me her heart. I know it was hers. No sow's heart or doe's would have continued to beat and pulse after it had been cut out as that one did. I took it to my chamber. I did not eat it. I hung it from the beams above my bed placed it on a length of twine that I strung with rowan berries, orange red as a robin's breast, and with bulbs of garlic. Outside the snow fell, covering the footprints of my huntsman, covering her tiny body in the forest where it lay. 
I had the smith remove the iron bars from my windows, and I would spend some time in my room each afternoon through the short winter days, gazing out over the forest until darkness fell. As I said, there were people in the forest. They would come out, some of them, for the spring fair. A greedy, feral, dangerous people. Some were stunted, dwarves and midgets and hunchbacks. Others had the huge teeth and vacant gazes of idiots. Some had fingers like flippers or crab claws. They would creep out of the forest each year for the spring fair, held when the snows had melted. As a young lass, I had worked at the fair, and they had scared me then, the forest folk. I told fortunes for the fairgoers, scrying futures in a pool of still water, and later, when I was older, in a disc of polished glass, its back all silvered, a gift from a merchant whose straying horse I had seen in a pool of ink. The stall holders at the fair were afraid of the forest folk. They would nail their wares to the bare boards of their stalls. Slabs of gingerbread or leather belts were nailed with great iron nails to the wood. If their wares were not nailed, they said, the forest folk would take them and run away, chewing on the stolen gingerbread, flailing about them with the belts. The forest folk had money, though. A coin here, another there sometimes stained green by time or the earth, the face on the coin unknown to even the oldest of us. Also, they had things to trade, and thus the fair continued, serving the outcasts and the dwarves, serving the robbers, if they were circumspect, who preyed on the rare travelers from lands beyond the forest, or on gypsies, or on the deer. This was robbery in the eyes of the law. The deer were the queens. The years passed by slowly, and my people claimed that I ruled them with wisdom. The heart still hung above my bed, pulsing gently in the night. If there were any who mourned the child, I saw no evidence. She was a thing of terror back then, and they believed themselves well rid of her. Spring Fair followed Spring Fair, five of them, each sadder, poorer, shoddier than the one before. Fewer of the forest folk came out of the forest to buy. Those who did seemed subdued and listless. The stall holders stopped nailing their wares to the boards of their stalls. And by the fifth year, only a handful of folk came from the forest, a fearful huddle of little hairy men and no one else. Your Majesty. Hmm? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The Lord of the Fair is here, Your Majesty. Show him in, Jenna. My Lord. Your Majesty. You asked to see me. Yes, Majesty. I... I, I, I do not come to you as my queen. No. No, Majesty. I come to you because you are wise. When you were a child, you found a strayed foal by staring into a pool of ink. When you were a maiden, you found a lost infant who had wandered far from her mother by staring into that mirror of yours. You know secrets, and you can seek out things hidden. Something is taking the forest folk. Next year, there will be no spring fair. 
Travelers from other kingdoms have grown scarce and few. The folk of the forest are almost gone. Another year like the last, and we shall all starve. Jenna, bring me my looking glass. It is in the chest in my chamber. Yes, Majesty. It was a simple thing, a silver-backed glass disc, which I kept wrapped in a doe skin, safe in the dark. Here, Majesty. Is that the one we bought you? The same. Sometimes I can see things in it. Sometimes it tells me things. Now, quiet. She was twelve, and she was no longer a little child. Her skin was still pale, her eyes and hair coal black, her lips blood red. She wore the clothes she had worn when she left the castle for the last time, the blouse, the skirt, although they were much let out, much mended. Over them she wore a leather cloak, and instead of boots, she had leather bags tied with thongs over her tiny feet. She was standing in the forest beside a tree. As I watched in the eye of my mind, I saw her edge and step and flitter and pad from tree to tree like an animal, a bat or a wolf. She was following someone. He was a monk. He wore a sackcloth and his feet were bare and scabbed and hard. His beard and tonsure were of a length overgrown, unshaven. She watched him from behind the trees. Eventually, he paused for the night and began to make a fire, laying twigs down, breaking up a robin's nest as kindling. He had a tinderbox in his robe, and he knocked the flint against the steel until the sparks caught the tinder and the fire flamed. There had been two eggs in the nest he had found, and these he ate raw. They cannot have been much of a meal for so big a man. Yes, that's the thing. Who's there? Is someone there? Hello. My, you're a pretty thing. Come on, pretty thing. Over here. Oh, yes. Such a pretty little thing. <laughs> now let's see what you'll do to a man of God for a shiny penny. <laughs> she stood up and walked around the fire and waited an arm's length away. He pulled in his robe until he found a coin, a tiny copper penny, and tossed it to her. She caught it and nodded and went to him. He pulled at the rope around his waist, and his robe swung open. His body was as hairy as a bear's. She pushed him back onto the moss. One hand crept, spider-like, through the tangle of his hair until it closed on his manhood. The other hand traced a circle on his left nipple. He closed his eyes and fumbled one huge hand under her skirt. She lowered her mouth to the nipple she had been teasing, her smooth skin white on the furry brown body of him. She sank her teeth deep into his breast. His eyes opened, then they closed again, and she drank. She straddled him, and she fed. As she did so, a thin, blackish liquid began to dribble from between her legs. Majesty? Do you know what is keeping the travelers from our town? 
What is happening to the forest people? Yes, I know. Is something killing the travelers? Yes, something is. Go home, my lord. I will take it upon myself to make the forest safe once more. I had to, although she terrified me. I was the queen. A foolish woman would have gone then into the forest and tried to capture the creature. But I had been foolish once and had no wish to be so a second time. I spent time with old books. I spent time with the gypsy women, who passed through our country across the mountains to the south, rather than cross the forest to the north and the west. I prepared myself and obtained those things I would need. And when the first snows began to fall, then I was ready. Naked I was, and alone in the highest tower of the palace, a place open to the sky. The winds chilled my body. Goose pimples crept across my arms and thighs and breasts. I carried a silver basin and a basket in which I had placed a silver knife, a silver pin, some tongs, a gray robe, and three green apples. I put them down and stood there, unclothed on the tower, humble before the night sky and the wind. Had any man seen me standing there, I would have had his eyes, but there was no one to spy. Clouds scudded across the sky, hiding and uncovering the waning moon. I took the silver knife and slashed my left arm once, twice, three times. The blood dripped into the basin, scarlet seeming black in the moonlight. I added the powder from the vial that hung around my neck. It was a brown dust made of dried herbs and the skin of a particular toad, and from certain other things. It thickened the blood while preventing it from clotting. I took the three apples, one by one, and pricked their skins gently with my silver pin. Then I placed the apples in the silver bowl and let them sit there while the tiny flakes of snow fell slowly onto my skin and onto the apples and onto the blood. <laughs> 